0: Hello everyone, welcome to our 14th episode of But Why Though, a philosophy-themed comedy podcast with comedian Josh Carter
1: and philosopher nancy Lopez.
0: And today we talk about Ian Rand and her book Atlas Shrugged, and we talked about libertarianism, the government, its role, and a little bit about the health industry and how everything is all related to what's happening right now in 2020. And who do we have, Josh?
1: We have two of my good friends today. We have comedian Preston Gitlin. He's a comedian, businessman, and entrepreneur who actually just moved from the United States. Actually, I guess Puerto Rico is part of the United States, but he just moved to Puerto Rico to avoid <laughs> paying taxes, so I figured it was a relevant person to have on the show. Um, also, we have my friend Boris Kaiken, who's another comedian that I perform a lot with. He's been on like Broad City. Um, he's all over UCB, writes really good sketches. He's a writer for this uh, channel called We the Internet, which is a libertarian comedy channel with a bunch of really great sketches. So check him out, too. Um, and yeah, let's get into it. This is a fun episode. I hope you guys enjoy So please share this if you dig it, like it, subscribe to it. This is the But Why Though podcast.
0: Welcome. So today we're going to be talking about Ayn Rand who lived from 1905 to 1982 and her book Atlas Shrugged published in 1957. So just to give you a brief um, overview about her background in case you haven't heard of her. I imagine most of us have but (laughs) Um, she was a Russian-American writer and philosopher Rand advocated for reason as the only means of acquiring knowledge and rejected faith and religion. She supported rational and ethical egoism and rejected altruism. She is known for her novels and for developing a philosophical system she named objectivism, which is the concept of man as a heroic being with his own happiness as the moral purpose of his life with productive achievement as his novelist activity and reason as his only absolute. She supports laziest fair capitalism, which she defined as a system based on recognizing individual rights, including property rights, including property rights. (laughs) She has been a significant influence among libertarians and American conservatives. So you guys have heard of her, right?
2: Can I recommend a pronunciation. I don't know if you want to re-record it, but laissez-faire capitalism.
0: I know, I said it wrong.
2: You can include this, and believe it or not, it's going to make me sound bad, not you, as, like, the man telling you how to pronounce. Like, yeah. I can't, I, I want to, I was like, dude, I, I want to correct it, but, like, it, it's funny because I'm going to be the one that's looked at poorly. And, and even doubly so for bringing it up, it's, like, super libertarian sounding. <laughs>
0: Laissez faire.
1: Laissez faire. Yeah. Laissez. Laissez faire, right? I thought it was laissez faire. Maybe I'm right.
2: wrong too, and now I sound triply. I always,
1: I always said laissez faire, but maybe it was because the guy who taught me my history teacher had a Philly accent. I'm not sure. No, he I'm was really, trying to the... really
3: solving the big problems
2: of today. <laughs> we you know can't what? even get past I'm... the pronunciation. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get into the philosophy. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Now, because I was also fucking with our mic to make a clear vision of United, see, maybe we should just redo this whole first part one more time. Yeah, <laughs> but
2: you should include both the one we just did and then the redone one. <laughs>
3: <laughs> ask Ask Google, man. He'll, he'll He'll pronounce it. Is it a he we're, or she that talks back to you? I don't want to offend again. We're really not off to a good start here.
2: We're looking for transparency in government. We need to lead with transparency in podcasting. We include all the
1: takes. <laughs>
0: At <laughs> Laissez faire. Laissez. Laissez. I
1: always said laissez fair. Let's let's look it up. Oh my god! I, I, I was I always heard laissez fair. Yeah, but I don't know. How do you pronounce laissez fair? Here's what I found. No, I didn't say. Wait, one second. Let's see. <laughs>
0: We are looking at how to pronounce this phrase from French used in the context of 19th century European liberalism, a phrase referring to an economic system in which (laughs) private parties are absent of any form of government intervention. So essentially non-intervention from governments into the economy. In French, we would say this originally, laissez-faire. 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 But faire English it is alright all right. Laissez-faire.
1: Laissez-faire. Laissez-faire.
2: Laissez-faire. Laissez-faire.
0: faire
1: right. We should definitely keep this in. You can't, you yeah, can't we should. pronounce it. This is it. pretty uh, compelling.
2: <laughs> you can't pronounce it right technically without smoking a cigarette while you're saying it.
1: William
0: de Frenchman. Yeah. Who French pronun- all right.
3: All right. They're, so. not, they're not laissez-faire in France. They're just socialists. They they work hard. Oh, I got the oh, they, I don't know what that word means. I, don't, I just I just wanted to include a pun so that we could really so we could really top off this segment.
0: <laughs> All right. Don't start over, I guess. <laughs>
3: no, don't start over. So
1: where did we we left off a of...
0: right here. All right. So I'll continue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Her novel that we're going to be focusing on, Atlas Shrugged, was considered her masterpiece. Rand described the theme of the novel as the philosophy of the morality of rational self-interest. The plot involves a dystopian United States in which the most creative industrialists, scientists, and artists respond to a welfare state government by going on strike and retreating to a hideaway where they build an independent free economy. The novel's hero and leader of the strike, John Galt, describes the strike as stopping the mortar of the world by withdrawing the minds of the individuals most contributing to the nation's wealth and achievement. With this fictional strike, Rand intended to illustrate that without the efforts of the rational and productive people in society, the economy would collapse and society would fall apart. So that's just a brief overview um on her novel so we're gonna start and go ahead and just look at a few quotes from the book and then we're gonna see what you guys think about it ready ready (laughs) all right so the first one she said it says when you see that trading is done not by consent but by compulsion when you see that in order to produce you need to obtain permission from men who produce nothing When you see that money is flowing to those who deal, not in goods, but in favors, when you see that men get richer by graft and by pool than by work, and your laws don't protect you against them, but protect them against you, when you see corruption being rewarded and honesty becoming a self-sacrifice, you may know that your society is doomed. So I wanted to ask you guys, do you agree? Is this happening today? Do we reward corruption instead of honesty in business? Does the government do this? And also, going back to um, the the story that I reviewed earlier, do you think that without rational and productive people, the economy and society would fall apart? So, what do you think? Well, or yeah. anyone? <laughs> yeah, go
3: ahead. Yeah, I mean, I like the last question the best because my wife's from Venezuela, so I I, I always use that as an example. But all of their rational, hardworking, innovative people left. You know, once once government took over there and, you know, they, it went from the richest country in that region to the poorest country in that region in only 12 years. I mean, so I feel like that's the best example in real life of of kind of what happens when you have government take over everything and try to control everything. Um, You know, ambitious, hardworking, driven, motivated, innovative people are always going to seek freedom and a place where they're going to be valued for their effort. Um, And I, you know, and I don't, I think that there's a a sort of a misconception that um they're doing that at the expense of everyone else right like the, you know when when somebody gets wealthy in a capitalist society it's because they're they're solving a problem they're they're uh delivering on a on a need that people have, and I think that often gets ignored, but it's it's that's why they're wealthy um you know I mean our wealthiest citizen is 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 uh, jeff bezos right and you know, he built a business which basically made it really cheap and affordable to get anything. Um, and is it at the expense of everybody? I don't know. I mean, if if we took literally every dollar that he owned and just gave it away to everyone in America, everybody would get a check for about five hundred bucks. I mean, you the know, other
2: thing that- to remember with that is a lot of people. I just had this conversation about Bezos with somebody yesterday, and uh, aside from you know this specific subject, also when people are like Bezos has this much money he's not just sitting on a mattress full of cash first of all most of that is equity like most CEOs that have this kind of money it's not even right. salary money it's the fact that they own a very large piece of this thing that they built right
3: yeah if you were to sell all of his stock the stock would crash and so he regardless he, what he has accumulated in personal wealth is would wouldn't even do a dent if we if we just spread it around everybody it would it would be $500 how fast would that go? And has he created more than $500 of value in your lifetime? You know, he's created incredible value. Um, Another, you know, you can, you can also look at a company like Netflix, right? Like here's, (laughs) this is what capitalism does. I mean, here's a company that, you know, for what, $15 a month, you get what used to cost what would have cost you thousands of dollars just to watch that same content right through economies of
2: scale. Right. I think the devil's in the details with a lot of this stuff. Like, I think people on the left and right would agree that, like, if you have money that's being grifted, that that's a bad thing. I think where there and tends to be a divide is, like, when I look at collusion between government and private companies, I don't have the expectation of private companies looking out for my well-being aside from trying to sell me shit that I want to buy. Whereas with government we have to have that expectation because they have a monopoly on what they do, which obviously, you know, with Ayn Rand's Rand's philosophy includes a monopoly on violence and a monopoly on theft, technically. So I, I think the devil's in the details of a lot of that stuff when you like actually, you know, apply it to real life. But generally speaking, it's true. Generally speaking, I don't think it's even a conservative idea that it's bad to have people that produce nothing to have control over what happens to wealth
0: yeah and i think like how they um did in in the book if they were to go away and leave then perhaps the economy well I, i think obviously the economy and society would fall apart so it's interesting how she does this in the book
2: yeah, yeah. kind of like playing it out. It kind of reminds me of the like they had a day without black people at what was it like Evergreen or whatever. But it's like a similar kind of practice of like what happens when we're gone. Like you'll actually feel the weight of people not being there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like there's, there's always like a fine line.
1: I feel like there's always like a fine line though. Like um, I think that I think that there are certain things that like could are could that are abused that are like kind of given and then i don't know actually i don't know
2: what i'm talking about here. <laughs> well I'll, you know, I'll i'll pick up and add this that i think like the thing that people don't realize that this kind of exemplifies is that unless you have a fascist state that holds wealthy people at gunpoint there's a there's a line at which you can tap hello something rand goes over like what is the moral good Of taking money or property from somebody and giving it to somebody else but then there's also like the practical good like even if you believe morally it's the right thing to do to redistribute wealth unless you also believe that it's right to like hold Jeff Bezos and his family at gunpoint and in the real world there's externalities where when you tax your base they move to Puerto Rico you know what I mean like there's there's the real-world consequences you gotta man you gotta actually get into the math of it and see what is the level at which someone wants to stay in New York City that you can keep taxing them and raising their taxes to where they won't find a way to evade those taxes. And like I, I have a friend who worked at Chase Bank and he was telling me like, if you think about your investments, like you invest somewhere in the market if you're like really good maybe you'll beat the market maybe you'll get like pension rate like 8% return 10% return if you're a wealthy person and you put as much of your efforts into evading taxes as you do in beating the market you get a fucking 30% return so like right if you, exactly you a, if the more we complicate our tax system the more we try to add layers of bureaucracy the more we try to add stuff to redistribute everything the actual real world results have externalities where instead of getting 25% tax taxes out of somebody, you might get zero because they get the fuck out of here and go to somewhere else where they can, whether it's legal or not, like in the real world, the same way as like people are like, you make drugs illegal. People are going to find a way to do drugs. You make earning my full living illegal. People are going to find ways to avoid that. So you have to manage it as like, how it is in the, that's why the, I used to be more of like, I would call myself a libertarian in college. I don't, I had, a. I had one big moment, actually, I'll tell you that in New York, that kind of took me out of the ideology, but, but in the real world, like you have to look at how the ideology applies, which is like, you can't just endlessly tax the wealthy cause you drive away your tax base.
3: That's a good topic to bring up. Cause I, I, I actually moved to Puerto Rico this year um, because I, I between, uh, federal, state, and city, I just said this is kind of getting ridiculous, you know, plus you have a high cost of living. So, you know, I mean, it's that, that's exactly right. Re- just follow human nature. You know, you, we can come up with laws and we can come up with rules to govern that, that sound nice on paper, but if the people are going to follow incentive structures, human nature is like the self-interest, right? So if there's one place where it's free and and if you're hardworking, innovative, and, and you're a job creator, and all of a sudden, they're going to come in and say, "Well, we don't think it's fair that you're going to be, you know, too wealthy because of all that work that you've done. So we're going to take that from you." As long as there, if there's another place to go, that person's going to go to that uh, that free place, and he's going to take those jobs with him, and he's going to take that wealth with him or her. So, you know, it 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 may seem on paper, oh, we're really helping, but are you really helping? I mean, again, I go back to Venezuela. Okay. I get it. Your, the, your revolution was to sort of help the little person, but the little person is, is eating rabbits now. You know, yeah, there's- and
2: I'm from Ukraine. Same exact thing happened in Ukraine. I have my brother's girlfriend is from Ecuador, really similar stuff happening right. right now. Like her parents are entrepreneurs in Ecuador and it, it it gets one of those things where like there's a quote where like don't listen to what an organization tells you its purpose is look at what it does and that is its purpose and so you see a lot of these structures and you see business owners and it's like well now there's a regulation that your sign needs to be this big and now your sign needs to be this far and it changes every year and it just becomes a like even though practically speaking yeah the people might want a safer this or like a whatever and again I think in the real world you can't just blanket say like no regulations don't tax you know there's there's a happy middle ground to it but the devil's in the details and so a lot of the bureaucracies end up becoming self-sustaining to where even if it obviously doesn't serve the purpose a lot of our policies meant to redistribute wealth and fix stuff that's wrong in America we've been doing for 60 years and a lot of the metrics show that they've been hurting but a lot of bureaucracies that are meant to like fix whatever that is don't even want to hear that Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: I think I'm 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 glad that that's your background because it's it's funny. It's like whenever you run into someone who, who comes from that, those places or that world who's ever lived, it is always totally against the idea of a big government takeover of, of everything. Right? It's 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 usually people who have never done it. They read they've read about it. They've, they're maybe the professor at school. Thought it was a good idea. Or they
2: visited the USSR and were treated entirely differently into a different experience than anybody who lived there. Somebody like uh-huh, Bernie Sanders or, you know, anybody, <laughs> right. any celebrity that visited the USSR and like came back and proselytized for it, either willfully ignored atrocities that they saw or were just like a useful idiot by their own terms where they, uh, you know, were blind to to what was actually going on
3: yeah and i think you know it is it is a moral and then there, there's like a moral issue which is more of a philosophical issue on whether an individual should ever be able to be so wealthy or whatever and that's that's kind of one area and then there's the practical real life you know does it even work if you tried to come in and, and force people to have more or less and, right and the other has been proven it doesn't work you know so even if you have this moral concept that you know by by building such a great product so many people want that in response you became personally wealthy if you find that to be immoral you know your a solution certainly isn't making it so nobody wants to go and build those businesses
2: Right. And it also can't be based on the idea of like a benevolent dictator, meaning like who's you think Jeff Bezos has too much. Well, what's the amount that he should be allowed to have? And are you the one that should set that amount? Who's the one that we should trust to set that amount to take to, you know, move it? And again, I think that like we don't have a, a laissez faire system in the U.S., obviously. So perhaps Jeff Bezos isn't paying enough taxes I think you can argue that and although think, I think a I lot of people
1: that. like I think that I mean I agree with most of these points and stuff in the grant in the macro and the grand scheme of things I think certain companies definitely could pay more I think that we could eliminate it so that companies pay their fair share just like the same I think everyone across the board should pay the same amount of taxes whether that be like I think flat, every, flat tax yeah like a flat tax and then I, th- I think that one thing that you could do with that is that money could go to, I think UBI is a good idea, but, and I know a lot of people think that that sounds socialist, the whole UBI idea, but if we lived in a capitalist world where where kind of like the sky's the limit, like after you pay the certain amount of tax that could cover UBI and like the corporations have to pay that same amount, I think you have enough money to do that. Yeah. So I, yeah let, let,
3: well, there's, there's two, there's two completely different things there, right? first, first, if you if you want a, a company to pay more in taxes, that sounds good on paper, but we live in a global world. That company will go to another country and base its operations in that other country that has less taxes. So it, it only works if everybody's on board. Like the whole world economy would have to be on board with whatever that tax rate is. Well, the
1: thing is, that's easily fixable, though. Like, I'm not, This, it's, I don't think you're really like making being fascist or like overly socialist if you did charge companies that are American based the same. And if you are American based and you outsource and you have to pay some other kind of thing, it'll even out. I
2: think the devil's in the details there. There's actually a good uh, Stephen Harper had a pretty good book on it right here, right now. A couple of years ago, that was like basically on trade deals. And so, like, you can have. First of all, there are consequences if you want Americans to be your consumers to leaving America. And it depends on which countries you go to, you know, if you go to a country where they don't have our labor laws, they don't have, you know, not just our taxes, but a whole assortment of other standards, our government does have the power to restrict that. It's, this is why I don't call myself a libertarian, because I think at a certain point you can only have libertarianism in a world where everyone has those rights yeah, right. defended. But, yeah. if you're, but if you're dealing with somebody who's in China or wherever else where they don't have to adhere to labor laws, then it is sort of up to our government to protect our workers and to protect our trade policies. Um, But I'll tell you real quick, just before I forget it, you know, it was the big moment one of the big moments for me uh, when they made smoking illegal indoors in New York. I I never smoked cigarettes. I was against it. I was like super libertarian. How dare the government tell somebody what happens in their private business? And then afterwards, like aside from just personally loving it, uh, the effect culturally on the smoking rate in society, and in New York, and in cities that did it, to me, seemed to be like, compared to thirty, forty years of anti-smoking propaganda, so much more effective from a health standpoint. It was just like, I mean, how can I say this is bad? It, it just feels like it. It's it made society better by effective governance, basically, in that in that instance, in that very specific instance.
3: Yeah, well, and, and that's a regulation where you know, it's not an individual problem. I mean, if somebody comes in and smokes cigarettes and and indoors, there's secondhand smoke risk you know, you're putting other, you're harming other people by your own individual decisions.
2: It's true. But if you have like, maybe not your Ron Paul libertarian, but like your John McAfee libertarians, you know, like you definitely have the argument that like, open your own bar where you don't allow. And I bet you if they repealed the regulation today, I don't think it would revert. I don't think there'd be, there'd probably be a few bars that became popular because the owners allowed smoking and everybody who wanted to smoke in a bar went to those bars and everybody who, which already, you already have like exceptions for like, casinos or tobacco like cigar shops or whatever. But like I don't think it would revert. But the but the argument from your like McAfee type libertarian, the dudes that are like that you see in the like libertarian debates that sort of remind me of like the flip side of the DSA meetings where it's like the full full on lunatics of the ideology where like it would their their argument would be eventually which is I feel like often in libertarianism a thing is like you have short-term problems that regulations often stretch out into a much longer-term problem, uh, whereas in a free market, those problems do get solved. It might not just be fast enough sometimes for certain aspects of our society. That's interesting.
3: Uh, uh, What would you you say to the example of of, um, a parent feels like the he, a parent's a smoker, wants to go in to maybe a smoking bar and brings his kid in. And the and the kid, uh, the kid now has to have secondhand smoke.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think it would probably depend. I don't know the medical data enough. I know secondhand smoke is not good for you. I don't know what that is on like if a kid goes to a bar once that has smoke inside. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know well enough. But it's if the numbers are there, it's potentially like. You know, child abuse,
3: it, Yeah, it, I don't know either. I was I was, I was I was it wasn't a loaded question. I was just kind of curious. Yeah, with, with, with,
2: I mean, you're not you're not free to leave your kid in a hot car and you're not free to live in a smoke filled room, I
1: assume,
0: yeah, but I don't uh, think it would be legally allowed. Most likely. Wow, <laughs> I've been
1: abused and I used to go to lots of smoke filled places. Yeah,
0: really? Yeah. Oh, wow. So
3: I, I think I think it, at its core, though, it's, it's sort of like laws, rules, regulations. They make make total sense. But we're also in a global, you know, competitive environment, and so we like we have uh, we have um, minimum wage laws in America. Well, you know that put a lot of people out of work just within America, and that was before things got really globalistic, right? So, but but now we, we, with our with our minimum wage laws, as long as there's a country like China that can, you know, legally, uh, basically have a labor force that works for next to nothing, you. We're, those jobs are just gonna go there and things are gonna get made there
2: unless um, we revert our trade policy, which actually we are doing a few things I'm sure you guys are aware that like the whole e packets thing is being reversed where you can't ship uh ship stuff as cheaply from China as we've been doing for the past however long and like there's like you like we said, there's ways to mitigate it, but
3: yeah without but 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 not without uh pain so it's sort of like okay, so let's say we protect the American worker and we say, we make it so we're not going to produce in China, well, then everyone in America is going to pay more for everything. So it, it becomes, you know, every, it's, it's not a black it's a and white. Ma- it's a
2: math problem, right? Yeah, it's a math that's, problem. That's the thing is a lot of people don't look at it as a math problem. They look at it from an ideological standpoint, which is, you know, I, I think the, the nice thing is is that you have two different sides warring between ideologies, and so once you know, people actually get to work. It becomes a math problem. Idea, hopefully, I don't think that always happens. Obviously, so yeah. you know, what's a good example. Also, for me, is the net neutrality debate that we had.
1: For, oh yeah, I, I like that debate because that was like I think that I think that should be kept equal for sure because that'll just that'll like that's like a future enslavement of like what the future is going to be.
2: I like I uh, probably with uh, Ajit Pai and repealing it. I think that, to me, that was like the first big issue that was completely clouded by the fact that Trump was involved in it. Or probably not the first one, but one of the bigger ones where it felt like a lot of people who did very little digging into like what it really is and what it really means were incredibly like became advocates online for a thing that they just found out about. Like, it was really strange. I saw people that, like, I'm like, you barely know how a computer works in, like, any way. Like, people that I have never heard advocate for anything. Like, you fucking flick through Instagram and just assume... They don't want
1: to lose their porno. That's (laughs) why.
2: But the craziest thing is, is that we basically never had it. Like the internet grew to what it was today without net. Again, that word
1: is like. Now, I thought net too, neutrality was restriction, wasn't it, or it was net neutrality meaning it's unrestricted.
2: Well, so net neutrality was a term for a, a series of regulations surrounding the internet. Leaving the internet free is what they used to call regulating the internet. Like it was almost like a fucking doublespeak, you know. And the the idea was to treat it as a utility, right? And so I think that you can have that argument, but then you have to... I I think a big thing also is people comparing a real-life version of of whatever the situation is to, like, a utopian hypothetical version of whatever implementing a bunch of laws, which happens a lot, I think, with, with socialist principles and with libertarian principles, too. But, like, with net neutrality, to me, it's like, Look where we came in so little time without this thing being regulated as a utility. And look where your cable companies have been like what they've been doing for how fucking long with so little progress. But yeah. So specifically because they're I mean, I don't want to, again, also oversimplified because aside from regulatory stuff with cable companies, there's also like cost prohibitive aspects of like laying cable for a, a new town but now we got 5g going we got elon musk throwing satellites into the sky and we never had that neutrality nobody misses it nobody gives a shit they all made a bunch of noise for a little bit it went into law it took like years for it to even be implemented in any way and then we got rid of it like it basically never existed and nobody misses it nobody cares but they were so concerned that their internet was going to go away and that shit was going to get like uh what do you call it, throttled and stuff based on different speeds. And I'm like, fucking throttle it. If I'm using more internet, like people should pay for more bandwidth usage. If Netflix wants to pay extra to make sure that my shit never skips at the expense. Like if if it's bad, there'll be another service provider. There'll be satellites in the sky. Like there's solutions to me in the free market in this one, very clearly that we've seen where the alternative is like extremely slow progress in these other places where we've regulated them. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, so that's the thing. We, um, we have to look at how, how much government control do we want to have, how many regulations, all of that. And they also bring that up in the book as well. So I'll go ahead and mention our second quote where they say, there's no way to rule innocent men. The only power any government has is to crack down on criminals. Well, when there aren't enough criminals, one makes them. One declares so many things to be a crime that it becomes impossible for men to live without breaking laws. Who wants a nation of law-abiding citizens? What's there in that for anyone? But just pass the kinds of laws that can neither be observed nor enforced nor objectively interpreted. And you create a nation of lawbreakers. And then you cash in on guilt. Now that's the system, Mr. Reed and that's the game. And once you understand it, you'll be much Easier to deal with (laughs) so I wanted to ask you guys what you think does we sort of talked about this already Does the government create laws for people to break them? Why if so do they do this and should we reduce government control and regulations? And also should taxation be voluntary now?
1: This is the reason I'm libertarian Yeah, they do (laughs) do this especially like in New York City and like big cities like that with like things like traffic laws I have such a bad driving record because I feel like I get targeted. Like, I feel like, like I, I, I like, t- I, I have like at least four points on my license just for like not seeing the sign that says don't turn left here randomly.
2: I like how you started with these are like laws made and then ended with actually I'm just a bad driver that doesn't street <laughs> right.
1: signs." That's I didn't see that. Well, like, you know, when you're, sometimes there are certain areas of Brooklyn that's it's, like there's no reason for you not to turn left. Here. No, I
2: get what you're saying. They like try to get you. And it,
1: and it's like hidden, and then like Josh. Josh hates uh, getting
3: pulled over every time he's got a fat blunt in his mouth. Like that's. <laughs> I would. That's, like unf- that's unfair. That's <laughs> unfair.
2: I think I think this relates to current events too, right? Because in in the idea of like systemic racism, is in a lot of ways related to this, right? the The whole point is is that in a lot of cities that have no. Um, income tax base because a lot it's a poor neighborhood a lot of the police systems have been reverted to generating income rather than trying to fight crime and so and again that's one of those things where like it's not a conscious thing but it's what an organization does it it's goes for its own survival and so when the primary motive of cops is to constantly try to ticket people and earn an income obviously you're going to ruin the relationship between the citizens and the cops but you're also yeah. Switching the mode of the cops to sucking money out of people instead of trying to fight crime.
3: Yeah, that's correct Yeah, and and so to fix that they then made they made sort of you know They made four private prisons and yeah, there's a huge incentive There's a huge incentive to incarcerate as many people as possible. So it's like yeah, it's all incentive structure I mean, it's it it's hard to ask this of people but it's almost like just just Don't worry about your ideology for a second and just look at the just look at the numbers and ask yourself what's better or worse, with or without that regulation, right? And most of the time, you'll find that the, if, you, if you have as, as few regulations as humanly possible, like err on the side of that, err on the side of that, um, sometimes you need them. But Error
2: on the side of freedom is what you're err saying. Error on
3: the side <laughs> of freedom, yeah. Error on the side of freedom. And it's like every time the government tries to fix a problem for a group of people that they, they decided or victimized, they for the most part, the history shows they end up doing way more harm to that group of people
2: and the, And the thing is is also you know, back to sort of the tax code, the idea is that unless you start killing the elite, people who are, and 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 I think this is a failure on the left also a lot of times, is to distinguish between those who are wealthy because they, massively contributed to society in a productive way versus grifters. I think a lot of times people are like, eat the rich, fuck, no one should be a billionaire, fuck the billionaire. But there's not like even, and I have respect for certain things with like Bernie Sanders or others who are left leaning where there is a patriotism in it and they want to help the American public. But even those people often fail to articulate a distinction between people who have basically raise the living standard of everyone in this country while generating their own wealth versus those who grift off of it, which is more, in my view, politicians than it is entrepreneurs, (laughs) although there's certainly plenty of examples of both. But the real thing that happens when you complicate these things, when you create a tax code that makes it really difficult for businesses to survive- is, and, and these are written, obviously, in collaboration with large corporations is you, you hurt your like low level entrepreneurs, your small businesses like Amazon can survive uh, like, restri- or like in New York. New York is a very difficult city to start a business. There's a lot of regulatory agencies. There's a lot of taxes. There's all these different things. And it's not that hard for a giant corporation to even take a loss until somebody else goes out of business. So like, That's you're really just helping the people that you're claiming to care about the middle class and anybody who could actually like start a business and do their own thing. It's just so weird to me how you have people on the left who are so anti corporate, but are creating an environment where you can only survive by working for a giant corporation.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the ideology that, that the richer are evil or that, it's like, get your attention on yourself. Just ask, look at yourself and put your focus on what can I do to better my life instead of looking outward and saying, well, you know, somehow because they're successful and they're rich that somehow I'm poor. That, that's not really how that works. Uh, you know, it, it's, I mean, Amazon, Amazon, uh, the, the core business, the, the retail business, that doesn't make a lot that much money. Most of their profit comes from AWS, which is a very high margin business. You know that's the, um, you know, where, where websites you know pay them to, for for uh, for the for their cloud, okay? But the but the the business of I can get products and I can get them quickly and I can get them cheaply. They're effectively a giant grocery store. It's a very low margin business. They've created incredible efficiencies, um, and they've made the cost of 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 everything that we, we that we like to consume uh, a lot cheaper and we get them a lot faster. They've they've created an incredible amount of value to society. Um, and so why is he the bad guy? What What is it about that that, that upsets people? Because he, he has a higher lavish lifestyle than most
1: people? Well, just to play devil's advocate, not that I I don't completely disagree, but what people's complaints are, it's like the working conditions of people at Amazon, I guess. So, I guess, uh, like, people who work in, like, the factories and, like, stuff, like, are mistreated or, like, they don't get, they get injured a lot or they don't get, there's, like, a South Park episode on that, I remember.
0: Like, they don't get
1: paid, like. Didn't they not
0: get masked also during coronavirus? Yeah,
1: like, there's a certain thing, like, they, like, I mean, it's done efficiently, but, like, the downside of that is that, like, it is kind of run, like, not, like, as bad as China, probably, but, like, for the United States. Pretty
2: bad. I think sometimes that is exaggerated. I don't doubt that they won't try to get away with whatever they can in certain cases, but I hear, I see a lot of tweets and I don't see a lot of like concrete lawsuits if they're actually breaking a labor law. I think they probably take advantage of certain situations, but especially right now during the pandemic they've been one of the better employers as far as getting like an above minimum wage job that's reliable and in demand. And also I think a lot of people don't realize, like you said, aside from their core service, there's been like tons of innovations they've done. There's the like, um, I was reading just recently about the Amazon mechanical Turk machine, which is basically like, uh, like software that they developed internally, which is now used by like, millions or like tons of companies where basically you're able to hire people for like like work that's that like can't be automated yet like transcription work and things well transcription work now is automated but for a while like you would be able to hire like workers in China like you said and things like that and I guess this sort of gets back to the idea of like can we can we do that Mm-hmm. Right. But, but anyway, my point was just that they've innovated on a lot of different shit aside from just what we see, like, yeah, Amazon yeah, hundred percent.
3: And, and it's, and it's two separate things. I mean, Josh, you're right. I mean, clearly, okay. So if a company does something egregious, that's, we have a legal system thankfully here where you can sue and you can, you know, you can have civil, you know, it's not in a, a business's interest to do that. And certainly there have been times where companies have, you know, polluted, polluted rivers, are dumped and given cancer to people and someone had to be there to protect them either through the legal system or laws or whatever. You know, it's kind of a separate thing than what I'm concerned that I'm seeing right now is sort of this class warfare type thing that's happening where it's sort of like, okay, you know, I'm in support of these leftist ideas because it's unfair that anyone should live so well, right? And I'm, I I get very afraid of that. I think that's a very scary place to go for, for our country. Um, you know, it's I, really I like the idea that, us. yeah, I, I just like the idea that there's a place where you can get really rich and really successful, quote unquote, by by creating something that's of some of so much value. That's that. Okay. I, I, that, I just think it becomes a dangerous game. they are putting what, didn't somebody All put right. a guillotine All outside right. of Jeff Bezos house like a week ago. I mean, it's getting a little ridiculous. Eat the rich.
2: I mean, come on. Yeah. Don't they know he could have a better guillotine shipped just in one day? <laughs> Right in front of his own lawn. Oh, yeah. I meant to say this uh, with that's regards funny. to the Ayn Rand. People were dunking on the Ayn Rand Institute for receiving PPP funds. Oh, yeah, I saw yeah. that. I, I was... Which I I think the PPP dunking in general is kind of idiotic. But also to me, that's Isn't really it similar.
1: Horrible, anyway, it's not like it's socialism.
2: Sorry. Yeah. And it also reminds me, It to me, it's like the leftist version of dunking on AOC for riding in airplanes. Like, you're, you're trying to, like, expect somebody to adhere to what is, like, an ideology outside of the real world. In this case, just like anybody else, Ayn Rand Foundation has a payroll. So in a pandemic, if there's a protection program so that those employees don't get fired, like, this isn't for the good of Ayn Rand's ideology. She's dead in her grave. This is for the good of the people that are working for that company the same as any other company that's applying for those funds. And
3: and what's it, what is it actually doing to help society? But Bernie Sanders, I love him because he, if you look back at old videos, he used to talk about the millionaires and the billionaires. Do you remember that? Like when he was going against Hillary Clinton and he yeah, became a millionaire because he became very famous through that campaign. And now he, he dropped it from, from this time around. It was always the billionaires now. Right. I thought that was kind of funny. But <laughs> he had he, to raise the bar. He had to raise the bar to billionaires. And now billionaires are evil. It's sort of like, you know, who, why do you care if there's a billionaire? Okay. It's, Just do it's very easy math. Take all the billionaires take all of their money and give it and and disperse it equally to Every American and you'll find that it's not a lot of money It's not going to do anything so you're just creating this common enemy which says you are a group of people who are victims and You're victims because of this group of people who are successful And it's just it's just not accurate and it doesn't actually do anything to help people because when in society where we've targeted people for (laughs) being job creators and being successful and trying to take it from them, has that turned into somehow a better society where everybody was wealthier? There is no country in the world that, that, that has richer poor people, basically, than the United States. Okay? And, and it's not richness in just the, sort of the amount of money they take home, but it's the cost of, of goods and services has gone down tremendously because of the capitalistic system. Which has given a higher quality of life to everybody. Capitalism brings uh, uh, it brings a society up and creates a tremendous amount of wealth. The other system takes that wealth and sort of diminishes it over time, and it gets spent. Okay. And I think, and if it weren't the case, if it you know if it were certain, if it were if it didn't work out that way, okay, then it's sort of like great. So what's a better idea? But they're not presenting a better idea. They're just sort of presenting this anger towards successful people and creating this divisiveness which says this group because they're successful uh they're evil they're wrong and the solution is let's take from them and let's give it to us right that that mentality uh is is unhelpful to both sides the poor and the rich it just hurts the country it hurts every country that's ever implemented that kind of behavior
2: i think to steel man the the other perspective on it like not to go towards socialism, but if you were to advocate for the side that does want certain regulations, I think you can easily argue for if you have a society that's prosperous to a certain degree, you want to create certain, you know, minimal safety nets, obviously. And so the question is, where, right? Like, what what is it that we're all willing to lower your living standard, right? That That's kind of what we're asking people to do. If you believe that no one in this country should starve, and you might not even feel it, it might be a negligible amount, right? But if we ask everybody to pay a certain amount in income tax to make sure that no one on the streets is starving, that's like something I, I think probably like even your most staunch conservatives would probably agree like no one should be starving to death in the middle of the street. And so then like, You can kind of go from there and build your way up, right? What do we believe that we believe everyone should have a chance at a K to 12 education? So you can say, okay, we're all willing to pay a little a portion of our taxes to make sure that every kid in America has a K through 12 education. Okay, we uh, we want to make sure that nobody's homeless. Okay, everybody's willing to pay. And that's like opens up a whole other fucking gamut there because you need to build a home. Well, how do you build a home? Ideally, you might want to say, "Oh, we're going to tax everybody in order to build homes. Is that the best way to do it So now, like at a certain point, you get into a thing where it becomes a more complicated endeavor, and not that it, those other ones are simple i would do,
1: I would pay for a train service to send the homeless in San Francisco to Detroit because there's a lot of them <laughs> homes but
2: That's true. I
1: think somebody did that. I think there was a there was a mayor somewhere who they who, did who bought people. tickets. They
3: bust them to another city. And they were like, we did it. We solved it. They sent Problem them solved. solved.
0: Vegas. They sent them from Vegas to San Francisco.
2: <laughs> oh, is that what happened? Yeah. That uh, sounds about right.
0: L- they listen,
2: all sent them to communes at one point, right? That uh, like that one in the Netflix doc where they bust a bunch of homeless people in so that they'd vote in the town and give them more political power.
0: Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs>
1: communes I mean, scare really me because everyone I've known who's lived in one has been a scary person, kind of. <laughs> I know. I know some nice people, but yeah. The, the the
3: philosophy that as a as a society and as a human race we shouldn't you know we, we shouldn't have people starving to death is I, I'm behind that 100 percent you know it's, a, it's it's a separate thing it's just the math isn't that like oh if we didn't have billionaires we, we wouldn't have hungry people right because the billionaires right. don't have enough money to cover it sustainably right that's, and if, that's my point is it's sort of like let's okay but we have to be honest and say okay if we want those things, everyone chips in because the middle class is gonna end up paying for that. There's just not enough billionaires. They don't have enough money to cover that issue. They might for maybe a couple of months. You could take right. all their money one time and, and destroy a society and, and feed everybody for a little while, but then you're you're still stuck with that same problem. So I, I don't I don't like I know, I don't like the idea that there's no way to collect any revenue from anyone or, 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 or where you go, it's just you know complete Darwinism and if you're weak and or, or dumb or whatever you're, you're just simply going to die a, a very slow and painful death. I don't like a society like that either I just I just wanna I just wish that that Whoever presents that argument would present it in a much less divisive manner and and give us the, the details and give us the real math as opposed to, to sort of saying that this is an us versus them and unfortunately us versus them is what sells
1: yeah, I th-
2: I think a lot of it is like two sides sort of talking past each other.
1: But here's, I, yeah. the, here's the thing I think that everyone needs, not just to not be hungry, but I feel like everyone needs hope. And I feel like hope is what goes away when you switch from capitalism to socialism, because in socialism, you're all at the same place and it might diminish. But there's not really hope, because if you start to make it, it goes back into the pot, you know, but in capitalism, I mean, of of course you need to have a couple programs here and there to make sure people aren't like dying in the streets or like resorting to crime and stuff like that. Like, I think a good, maybe like examples, like maybe a Canada or something like that. But I mean, at the same time, I don't know. I I feel like you should just give people healthcare, get the UBI and then outside of that, make it laissez faire.
2: Healthcare is a good example, especially when you mention Canada. I think with something like that, especially something that I think is very divisive because you have one side that vehemently says healthcare is a human right, which I think is a morally nice thing. But practically speaking, you it's very hard to give a human right that depends on the labor and innovation of other people. So unless you know you, you put doctors in chains you have to figure out how to make enough doctors how
1: to incentivize no, to regu- people. I think that the doc- I think the medical industry definitely needs to be regulated like if if the medical industry was regulated like how the real estate industry is in New York City like the problem would be solved
2: well, the thing is, is that the real estate industry has a lot of its own problems. A lot of the, for instance, like housing issues that we have is because we de-incentivize people from building housing in a lot of industries. Right. You, have yeah, like, it, yeah. you have like your NIMBYs in San Francisco that on paper are very liberal.
1: I'm not, and- saying, the real, I'm not saying the real estate industry is perfect or anything, but, I, but it's like something that's heavily regulated and it's regulated like in the wrong places, I feel like, too. In the wrong places, you said. Yeah, in the wrong places. Yeah, I, I um, think I feel like there's not even an attempt to regulate like met like me- the medical industry. Here's something that just happened to me. Um, I go into a fucking doctor's office. I have insurance. The doctor promises me that it'd be free and all that. I, I then they go they because they think I have better insurance than they do. They give all these tests on me because of chest pains I had or something. Now I owe this fucking doctor's office like fifteen hundred dollars, plus I owe another eight hundred for like tests that they sent to the lab. Like, why? Like, there needs to be some kind of thing where I could consent to have that shit. So
2: here's the thing, though, right? They are they are super regulated. The medical industry is, in I mean, HIPAA compliance is probably one of the stringest regulations there is in existence.
1: Well, HIPAA is just like you can't tell people. What it's I,
2: it's privacy laws, but it. it that's good. But I'm not knocking that. Out. Well, no 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 no, it's not it's not all good. On
1: how on how business is done within the medical industry if you're going to consider that business. It's not so, held to the same standards as a, as another business. Is.
2: Well, so I think the medical industry is pretty unique, right? For starters, it's it's the fact that the real-world application is that if you're dying on the street, we morally as a country feel that we shouldn't let you do that, right? So no matter what Oh, all, all else equal, no matter what you're eventually a cost on the system, you, whether you're somebody that has insurance, whether you're somebody that contributes, whether we have Medicare for all or whether we have a free system, in America, we've sort of agreed if you go to a hospital, they're obligated. Even a private hospital is obligated to at least stabilize you and take you to a public hospital. Now, the flip side, like you mentioned, Canada... Uh, in Canada, the provinces do it. Canada is not, Canada's healthcare system is managed more locally than just nationally. And I think that's where, like, you get a lot of problems with the healthcare system because as your scale grows and your diversity of population grows, which is, I think, an important factor, right? Because, like, Bernie and a lot of people compare us to, like, you know, Scandinavian well, countries. Well, pretty diverse
1: place, actually. I didn't even realize this, but, like every, like, there are a lot of black people and, like, people of like indian descent and like right
2: but but what i'm saying is is the healthcare the universal healthcare there is run by the provinces not by the canadian national government it's just in general it's a very like we romney did romney care in massachusetts like there's a way to do it the closer you are to the problem and the better you're able to manage it The complexity of that problem i think in america you run into a couple trade-offs if you try to nationalize for all the faults of the american system we still have medical innovation here that all the other systems in canada and everywhere else benefit from so it's not even as simple as if we nationalize it here and we de-incentivize certain innovation here not even we would just feel that it would actually affect the stability and and the power of these other healthcare systems who rely on the drugs that we might develop that they might create generic versions for that are that here might cost thousands of dollars because the R&D has to be paid for
1: but here, here's the thing: who's setting those prices? And that's where the regulation needs to come in. I mean, I now I kind of sound like the enemy here. I know, but I'm just saying. There's
2: no, there's no enemy here. I'm, I'm just, I'm have just to, saying. Have to argue and steel man both sides of it. Well, but, the, saying, but the price is set by the market, right?
1: It costs, let's say, let's say you're lying. It's not set by the market in the healthcare industry. It's set out of desperation, like as you said. Healthcare is the medical industry is a unique in, industry where you have a moral thing where you have to save someone's life if they're dying. Right. But it depends on the thing you're talking about. Because you're doing that, that gives that person no choice. So the way that it's set up now in America is that you charge as much money as you can fucking get away with for every little thing, for every little person who delivers you like a thing of apple juice.
2: It's. Like I think so much higher
1: festival prices. It's so
2: much more complicated than that, though. The development of a drug is insanely expensive. The, a lot of the like, let's put it this way, right? Well,
0: the development
1: of a drug is a different. is like I'm. I'm talking more about like the area of like, like the medical practice area, like like, like testing someone's blood should not cost as much as it does. I no mean,
2: way! I mean, no way! It shouldn't. Of course, but part of that is even if you walked. I was just listening to um a podcast with this woman who ran a hospital and works at a couple other medical facilities and one of the things she mentioned was was if you go to a hospital she was the CEO of a hospital and she was like if you asked me what does it cost to do an MRI at my hospital she wouldn't know she was like there's no other business in this country where if you ask somebody what the costs are of that business they have no idea because you have this system where not only do your costs differ depending on what insurance you 're billing right? Part of the reason why your MRI or whatever it is must, might cost a shit ton is because for every you, there might be four or five Medicare or Medicaid patients that are bargaining prices that aren't really sustainable but are negotiated because they know they'll be compensated by certain private insurance companies. I think that the way to do it, because I don't think the conservative argument is uh, salient. Why, why
1: should it cost so much money just to run an MRI? let's say using a lot of electricity or something like what, what is it? I, Where is so that-
2: I, so I don't know. It's like
1: how, how could a Medicaid person drive the price down? Like is the machine, does that expensive or you need to get X amount of uses out of it at this price? So- so I don't
2: know. I don't know the specifics of like what goes into the MRI, but just as far as I'm just as saying,
1: like, like all this shit is just set up in a in a certain way. To
2: well, the machine costs money, and the time of the doctors costs money. So just based on that, let's say an MRI costs five dollars. If four people on Medicare are each paying a dollar, that means you got to pay twenty. You know what I mean? What what is the
3: what is the libertarian argument? Because I think there's two things being discussed. One is sort of a uh, uh, everyday sort of Getting your medical done. But what about that? Josh brought up a point, which is as there are certain drugs that, and there's certain situations where, like, you'll have to, you would spend every dollar you have because either you, you either take it or you die, or you die, right? And so, what, what was that guy's name? Is it Martin something who, who bought that? Rally. He bought that AIDS Rally. company, right? Yeah. AIDS drug company, and then he jacked up the price of 5,000%.
2: Yeah. And right. do you know what happened as a result? Another competitor came in and made a much, much cheaper version. And I think they're like,
3: well, that's, but, but in a, in I a you went to jail. You, yeah, but let me give you an, an, an example. Let's say, let's say a company does the R and D they get a patent on a drug. Right. Right. And, and for seven years, you're not allowed to compete with that, with that company. And it is a life saving drug. And you know, what is it? I don't, I'm I'm learning as much as I'm talking here but I mean what is the libertarian argument about that um at, at what point is it like okay I mean you could it's I, a let me throw a, well let me throw out a
1: crazy hypothetical oh, but, but like I think that the drug I think you should just sell it like volume based make it not make it affordable forever and there's x amount of people with aids out there to budget like the development of the drug around that like you don't have to so what
2: if you have a rare disease josh let's say you have a disease that there's not enough customers in the united states to make the cost of developing the drug that would cure that disease worthwhile for any industry how do you incentivize somebody to create that drug if you regulate it so that they cannot sell that drug past a certain price
1: yeah, that's the thing. Maybe you'd have to wait for the daughter of someone who died to grow up.
2: Somebody, or you wait for the kid of somebody who's really, really rich to get the disease, who's willing to fund it on their own, yeah. so that everybody else can benefit from it.
1: I don't think but there's, maybe, a maybe there's some kind of incentive system, like to to reward people, like with some kind of huge accolade or some kind of setup like if you do do some kind of breakthrough in a new drug they,
2: that's actually a fun a fun idea like a non-monetary incentive you get a purple heart <laughs> yeah, you
1: get, you get like the medal of freedom and you get. got uh, that,
3: you know, that sounds that. that sounds like the ussr that we're you know you're no, it through your saying. country
1: yeah well i'm just saying that's how they did it works in the entertainment industry in the comedy industry Like what? <laughs> We don't have to pay you for exposure. Why can not we get paid. Do the drug makers?
2: I know, you get paid through exposure. That's funny. I think that um, in an ideal world, for starters, preventative care should be accessible to everybody. But my opinion is actually more libertarian there, where I think a lot of these things like blood work that you're talking about should be dirt fucking cheap. You should be able to pay out of pocket to go to a general physician, have them check you out and have them run your blood. Yeah, that exactly.
1: Should... I'm gonna have to pay a two grand for just because my heart hurt, like sharp pains going in just to get checked up and nothing was wrong.
2: Right. So I think the question is, um, like let I think we can all agree it would be better, even for the country economically, if people who um people who are concerned about their health or just in general, if people are able to have preventative treatment that lowers future, extremely expensive treatments. Right. And I think that that's like, I don't, I haven't done the math, but I would guess that if more people got checked up more often, if more people got you know, checked for cancer and had all their screenings more often that prevented more expensive problems in the future, that would probably lower the cost for everyone. The question is, The cost of those preventative screenings, how do you make that more accessible to everybody? And the libertarian principle is usually to lower the cost by having innovation and competition. So either you nationalize it and you have something that the government pays for, which if we look at like education and other things we consider everyone should have access to, the cost inflates very, very quickly. And now I think with this pandemic, you're, we're seeing a lot of disruptions in these industries, right? Stuff where the cost, even in the healthcare industry, my buddy's a surgeon in um, Virginia Beach. He was telling me they're doing innovations right now. They're like switching towards certain telehealth stuff. He's like, we should have done this 15 years ago. It was just so cost prohibitive to do it that now that they're facing this pandemic, they're being forced to do it. I think the same thing is going to happen in education, where like a lot of stuff that's been cost per a lot of it is just grifting, right? Like everybody agrees that the cost of education skyrocketed like crazy, and part of that is because of well-meaning people. I'm going on a rant now, but I'm I'm rolling with it. A part of it is because well-meaning people have wanted education to be more accessible, so they pushed for the government to back fucking $100,000 loans for yeah, children. That, yeah, that,
3: that, was, that, that, was, um, that was precisely what that's, what, that's what, that's the point where it's like the government goes in to help a group of people and they, and they make the problem worse. And so they go, we need regulation to solve a problem. The problem gets worse. They go, well, let's solve it with more regulation. And then the it cycle continues. Here's that's the thing, exactly college- what happened with, with college. College was never expensive until until the government backed student loans. Like why What's would government- it be?
0: So it's it like, it be. helping or not to involve them? You know right. so
3: the, so so the guys is we want to make it affordable. We want everybody to go to college. Well, it's like, well, then, if everybody goes to college, that's the new high school. So now everybody's got to get a master's degree. Well, we better make that a free for everybody. By the time you by the time the government's done getting what they want, you're gonna get your you're gonna get your, your your diploma when you're ninety.
1: I <laughs> I think that, I think that um, the government this is a crazy idea I just had now. Um, so what if, what if like this whole education thing is probably another reason because doctors have to go to school for so long. What yeah, if?
0: lawyer.
1: Yeah, I mean, lawyers, too. But what if you could just I think you should be able to get licenses and any kind of practice.
3: What do you oh mean? yeah, but it's not. Yeah, they, they do it because they want more money. It's just,
1: it, wait. It's, what do you mean, Josh? Like, imagine if like you didn't have to go to medical school to be a doctor. You just had to, like, study hard and get your license and get some like experience and get experience like, <laughs> like, you need like to-
2: passing the bar. I think <laughs> you can become a lawyer technically if you just yeah. pass the bar without law school in some states. Oh, really? is, that,
3: is that true? Because I, I didn't I didn't know that
2: that was Google true. it because it I might be talking out of my ass, but I'm pretty okay. sure it's not true for all states. But I think in some states, if you pass the bar and submit for your license, you can become a lawyer without going to law school.
0: Yeah, I've looked it up. Yeah, ha- I think you have to work at a law firm for two years or something like that.
2: Right. So well, there might be something. But- yeah but yeah, so- regulation but you're right as far as regulations in general there's a lot of businesses where like even like hair cutting and like simple shit like nail salons and waxing there's certain places where you need licenses where people could easily start a business but they're forced to either work for somebody else or not be able to do it or
1: be a criminal yeah, you need a fucking license in new york city to be a tour guide so <laughs> you know <laughs> really yeah <laughs>
0: Wow, um, I not know that you have
1: to be you have yeah, you needed anything that you make money, like New York wants you to get a license for. But certain things I think you should. I I I definitely agree that as a real estate agent, you should have a license. There needs to be regulation there. As an insurance agent, you definitely need a license. Like, I feel like uh, certain things Cali- what?
3: Sorry, uh, California, Virginia, Vermont, and Washington allow aspiring lawyers to take the bar exam without going to law school. Instead, they are given the option to apprentice with a practicing attorney or judge.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: There you go. Yeah. I
2: wasn't talking out of my ass this time. <laughs> uh, but I was gonna say, um with the healthcare industry, I think Obamacare kind of brought into the national discourse a really big like philosophical problem that I that I think like people weren't grappling with, which is the idea that okay, you have a country where we say we don't want you to die, whether you have insurance or not. Why in the world would anybody? Uh, I'm I'm going towards the idea of pre-existing conditions, right? We I think everybody agreed that like if you get sick, you shouldn't just like go into complete destitute. But at the same time, why would anybody ever buy insurance if they could buy it when they get sick, right? That was the problem that Obamacare attempted to solve by essentially making it mandatory to have health insurance, which the, on the right, people criticized as a tax on breathing, essentially, right? You're not allowed to exist unless you are- Oh,
1: yeah. If, you, if you've
3: got enough money to afford health insurance and you choose not to do it, you should go broke if you get sick.
2: Right. But that's the thing is that you should- and i and I agree with probably if you catch me on different but you're moments. right
3: but you're right though that that it could still hurts the system right because let's say you're you're not rich, but let's say you've got i don't know hundred thousand dollars in the bank, you choose not to get health insurance and you end up getting something that's a million dollars in medical bills now the whole society has to pay for your decision not to get health care there's right. something there's something wrong about that right, right? And
2: so but it is sort of um a difficult thing to solve because either you. Uh, it, but if somebody can't afford it, they're certainly going to choose not to pay for it. And then it's still a thing that everybody has to pay for. Right. And I agree with you. It is the situation where like part of me wants to be callous about it because that is sort of like there is a moral cost on the other side. People act as if there's no cost where like, well, if you're a person that's got money in the bank and you chose not to get health and you get sick, fuck you, you know. But at the same time, the, there's a, obviously the, you know, the ethical part of that person and having empathy for them making a poor decision for themselves but then there's a a moral cost on the other side which is that if we assume that we have a certain amount of doctors in this country and again we need more doctors we need innovation in medicine the thing is not unlimited and so if you're paying for somebody who did not pay for health insurance maybe smoked their whole fucking life and got sick this is where I really veer away from libertarianism a little bit is I'm like a little bit towards like fuck privacy in this like I am down with a future where my phone is reading my health data how much I'm walking and selling it to the health insurance companies I could see a future where you have two different health insurances and one where you get on if you're healthy and one where you get on or I mean even right now they penalize you but like once they really have a lot of data I uh, well now that I say it out loud you also get into the really bigger difficult question is you have your behavioral aspects that affect your insurance costs and you have your genetic aspects that affect your insurance costs. So, like, that's the big worry with 23andMe, right, is, like, people getting your data and knowing that, like, if you're, you know, got a predisposition to heart issues or whatever else it is, an insurance company's going to jack up their cost on you, right?
1: Well, that and they're they, I read a thing about police using it to try to pin people to crimes and stuff who may have not. Well, even- they did. That's
2: how they caught the Golden. What is it? The Golden State Killer or whatever it was. It's okay. like
1: but I no no I, well that that's good. I'm not saying for people to get away with crimes, but I've heard that like certain people like have like had like have are like exposed in a way of getting framed for stuff they haven't done, like from giving their DNA to this company and having it on record and having maybe like Law enforcement's able to go in willy-nilly and get it from the... I read some article about
2: that. I haven't heard about that. That sounds fucking con- conspiratorial.
1: Yeah. I mean, part of my... One of my pilots I'm writing is kind of about this, but, like, I, I just am afraid of 23 immune because I don't want... is you signed away the rights of your DNA to those companies yeah. to sign those waivers. So they could do anything with it that they want, so...
2: Yeah, that, I don't know that I'm fucking with that yet.
1: ...with your DNA. You just got
2: to make your parents do it. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, just make both your parents do it, and then you got you got your shit. Um, Yeah, the healthcare one is tough because I think it's a really again, it's it's about getting into the math, right? It's about what's going to bring down the cost enough that it's accessible to everybody and that it's not inflationary. And then also, you know, when the rubber meets the road, what are we willing to leave people with, right? Like at a certain point, there is. What are what are we will if you want to smoke your whole life and eat like shit and do whatever else like do we let you do that because if you have a nationalized healthcare system and the cost is going towards all of us then there's an argument for regulating your private behavior or having you sign some sort of waiver. And again, we get to the point where if we tell you, listen, if you smoke, if you drink a lot, if you like eat like shit, if you do behavior, if you're a fucking extreme sports enthusiast, you know what I mean? Like if you do behavior that uh, it makes it more likely for you to be a cost on the medical system, do we restrict your behavior? Do we have you sign a waiver that says you forego medical treatment? The latter how the fuck do we enforce that? Because the same way that we don't want to let people die in the streets now, you do all that shit, and then once you actually get sick, as a society, we're gonna say, "What are we gonna let them just stay sick? No, we're gonna fix you." So
1: it's really hard it to do that. Back without... to these costs, they're just too high, and they were they, they've just kind of it just got kind of gone a little crazy. I think the medical industry is one where maybe like needs to be a little bit. I, that's the one industry that I think. Like the price setting should be regulated of all these different things, and it should be they someone needs to go in and see what everything costs for real. And like,
2: so Trump actually just sued the hospitals and won. Did you see that? Huh? Trump just had a lawsuit with the uh, with a uh, like a hospital organization, not uh-huh. to like try to argue something pro Trump, but he sued a hospital organization for transparency in pricing. Right. They, they used to
3: used to be. Like, yeah, they, it used to be with where him and you go to, to hospital and they wouldn't tell you what it was going to cost you, and until after the fact. And so they he made it. I believe, unless I'm getting this wrong, but the rule is now if somebody wants to know what it's going to cost us to go to the hospital and get get treatment, they have to give them that information.
1: Yeah. Oh, really? Because I'm gonna. You have to send me that because maybe that can help me with my my. Shit. <laughs> anyway. I think- but I think uh, actually we should uh, we're we're kind of running out of time here. It was we're going by quick. This is a good episode. But if you want to all go around, you can all give like your final points and then plug anything you want to plug and then uh, and then yeah. Or you could start with you, Boris, because you were about to say something. Yeah, will
2: I'll sum up what I think what I was trying to get at is I think we should make something available towards everyone once we can get the economy of scale going so like with the healthcare industry certain things we can probably afford to provide everybody certain things we need the market to make it cheaper so that we can make it more accessible and at that point we can be more informed to know is this something that's just better that everyone pays out of pocket for or is it something that it's better that the government pays for? But right now, it's I, if tomorrow they invented a drug that makes you live towards 200 years old, and you're a person that says everyone deserves healthcare, and this shit costs millions of dollars to manufacture, your ideology says that now everyone in America is entitled to this, you know, crazy drug that says you're going to live till 200 years old. So, like, I think the ideology kind of has to go away, and we have to figure out where the math actually points to in terms of making something cheap enough to be super accessible? And then at that point, what's the best implementation to make it accessible? Is it the government? Is it already accessible enough if private industry is supplying it, maybe offset with charity or with whatever other programs that maybe subsidize it?
1: Maybe we should just tax other countries that use like benefit from our drug discoveries.
2: I mean, I'm sure we must, but I can't say I know the details of it. Uh, structure.
3: They got. They don't have to. They don't have to pay for the military. We take care of that for them. They don't have to pay for innovating and inventing drugs. We do all that for them. So it's really easy to have a socialist country when uh, somebody else has a capitalist one, and they've got to do all the investment, and take all the risk, and you know, you, could, you can you can you have infinite supply for your citizens if someone else is doing all the work for you.
2: Can I actually piggyback one thing off of that? Which I think that's a good point in general. Just broadly speaking, I think people are. When they either criticize this country productively or not, there's a bigger reality that people sometimes are naive to, which is how much even freedom in the rest of the world depends on the fact. And I'm fine, like, you know, defunding certain parts of the military budget and stuff. But people are very callous to the idea that a lot of the peace in the world is at the gunpoint of the U.S. military including in countries that seem like they're very neutral and peaceful. And it's because of the, the, the just the bare existence of America having the certain principles that it has, I think, holds a lot of other areas in the world together, where I think if people saw the restructuring of America in ways that they'd imagine, you couldn't just move to some other country because those countries would change as well.
1: True. That's a good point. All right. Why don't you guys plug your Instagrams and, and Twitters and stuff like that, and we could uh, wrap this bad boy
2: up. At the Boris K on everything.
3: I don't. I, uh, I don't want to be followed. That's scary. I'm a, I, I'm gonna plug Josh Carter because I, I think he's gonna. I think he's about to blow up, and uh, I want to be on record saying that. So whatever Josh, whatever you got to plug, Josh, you can use my plug.
1: You heard it from Preston there first, everybody. <laughs> you could follow me on Gosh Carter, that's G O S H C A R T E R, that's on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and you could follow and
0: you could follow me at Miss Nyancy, M S N A Y A N C I, and you can follow our podcast at B W T Podcast on Instagram.
1: Thanks for having All right, us, folks. Fun. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This has been the But Why Though Podcast. Please rate us five stars and subscribe and follow us on Instagram at BWT Podcast.